Good morning, Team Freedom. What is up Friday morning, first Friday morning post-convention? How's everybody doing this morning? Great. Wonderful. Amazing. Doing super. Pretty duper. Who we got in the house? Little Rock. Sally's on the call. That's gotcha. Good morning. Good morning. We got a whole bunch of people from Torrance. I recognize those voices. Sandy's talking about some bots. Good morning. 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 Good Anybody from Tony Arkansas? Yes, <laughs> Little Rock, Julie, Joey, and Diane Larson. Little Rock, building in the rock. That's right. That's right. Rachel and Clinton are on. R and Q. What up, dogs? Day Chai. And Proctor. Day Chai, welcome. Frank. Good morning. Good to have you on the call. <clears throat> Rick Ellis here. Hey guys. Good morning. Hey, guys, you may want to text a few of your teammates. Our attendance is a little low this morning on the call, just starting out. They give me a number when I log in as to how many people are already logged in. I know some of you are on conference calls and in meeting rooms and sharing the call with others, so I get that, but uh, we take that into account every week. So it's a little bit lower than normal, which I would expect coming off the convention to be a little bit higher than normal, but um, we are where we are. So... Hey, uh, wanted to get started. I'm super excited about. I'll tell you what. I've been doing this since. Uh, I've been doing this since 1999 is when I got started and got licensed in the business when I AMA'd. So that's 20 years I've been at this, and uh, I don't know if that was the best convention that I've ever been to, but it was certainly. Uh, I, I, I don't know if it was the best, but there hasn't been one that was better than that. That was as good as they come uh, from so many different spots. Uh, I thought the Synergy kickoff meeting was off the chain. I was so excited for so many of you and your teammates who got recognized at that. Uh, the fact that we got my let to speak for 45 minutes there was crazy, ridiculous, epic. Um, the speakers that we had that day as well, us coming together with the Ireton hierarchy as well, just made it bigger, more competitive, more exciting. It was so much fun. Uh, the next morning, the Thursday morning leadership meeting, I know all of you weren't able to attend that, but a bunch of you were. A special shout-out to my peeps in Torrance and Colorado. Both had seats saved for me, so appreciate on you guys. Uh, but the Admiral that morning was just crazy, crazy good. I was... Fascinated by his stories of being a Navy SEAL and training and his combat stories and how so many of the lessons that he's teaching translate into what we do. And then he just had like top-notch speakers like Juan Jaime and others just dropping gold that morning as well, Rich Stolle. Uh And then the convention itself was just sick. Just absolutely sick with the the lineup that they had, the speakers that they had. Like there was so much that I got. I, I can't remember a meeting where I've taken so many notes and gotten so many actionable items 
coming off of the meeting. So super exciting stuff. The big question really is what's next? <clears throat> what's next for you? What's next for me? What's next for us? That's the big question. And quite frankly, some people some people come off a big event like that, and there's a little bit of what we call big event hangover, where, like, you're so emotionally jacked up, you're so emotionally high for so many days in a row, you're in this environment that we've created where, you like, your beliefs are so high when you're sitting in that arena for two days, your confidence level is so high, your expectations are so high, um, and then you go from that to literally whether you're flying back to Colorado or Arkansas or L.A. or you're driving back, as you get closer and closer and closer to your home, literally with each step that you get closer, the, the, the doubts and the belief and the confidence begin to wane. Now, in some cases, they wane a ton, and by the time you get home, you're right back to where you started <laughs> before the convention. Like, literally, for some people, that's the case. And for other people, it drops by 10 or 15 or 20 or 50%. But that is, that is a completely normal experience for people to go through. And I'm, I, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about, <clears throat> like, I want to take a little bit different angle post-convention on what to do next. The logical thing to talk about is here's the plan, here's the how-tos, here's all the things that you need to do. You've got unbelievable leadership in your local offices, whether you understand that or not, whether you appreciate that or not, whether you take advantage of that or not, whether it's Julia Turnbull in Little Rock, Arkansas, or whether you got Mark or Rachel or Q or Daniel or Evan or April out there in Colorado or Tony or Jimmy, whether you've got Sabrina or Michael or Yvonne or, or Nikki or Christine out there in Torrance, or you're in any one of our other offices that are plugging into these calls and plugging into our events, or our local office in Chino with Steve and Carol and Jim and Lori certainly. you've got people to help you put together those goals and that plan that understand you and where you're at. What I want to really talk about is some of the bigger things that I'm hoping that you caught and that I want you to take away from the event that I think are some of the more important things. We talked about in our pre-training for the event last Wednesday, a week ago Wednesday in Chino before the event, actually it was Monday, we moved our BPM, we talked about uh, the triad. And for those of you that are not familiar with the triad, you can Google it and you can it, it just Google Tony Robbins and the triad. <clears throat> and the triad is basically if you draw a triangle in your notes right now, there's three apexes to that triangle. Glasses. And one of those apexes, let's call it the top apex, is belief slash focus. So your beliefs slash your focus have a, uh, have a big determinant in your level of success. Obviously, the stronger your beliefs are in anything, the more successful you're going to be in that thing. There's a button on the side there, Jacob. On the, no, on the side of the wall. Not on the door. Not on the door handle. On the side of the wall, there's a button. Sorry, guys. I'm picking up kids this morning. Today is the last day of summer. 
for my youngest son and my favorite son, Jack. And we are rolling to the beach because he's going to take on some waves there with his nephew, Jacob. <clears throat> so we're rolling out. So a little bit of commotion. But at the top of the triad is beliefs and focus. So as you look at the, each and every leader, and I want, I want to challenge you to do this. As you go back through your notes, there's a couple of ways that we go back through our notes from convention. And I want to share with you sort of what those techniques are and how to get the most out of those notes post-convention. The first is this. <clears throat> you go through your notes, and you highlight like crazy everything that impacted you, whether it was a quote, an idea, a strategy, a script, a belief, anything and everything that stuck out to you. You highlight it, and then you write all those things down on a separate piece of paper, a single sheet of paper, all of them on one sheet. And I, I remember conventions where I had so many notes, like literally I'm writing as small as I can the entire page, like every piece of white space on that page is filled up and I'm writing in the margins sideways and upside down just to get more notes on one page because I was committed to getting it to one page. Then from that one page, I drop it down to three to five actionable items that I'm going to specifically work on either myself or work on in my business or work on from a skill set perspective to improve things. Like what are the three to five things out of all the ideas that I got, what are the three to five ideas or things that I got from that that can have the biggest impact, get, help me get the most results over the, over the course of the rest of this year and over the course of the next year and the years to come? And so it's narrowing it down to what are those things. Now, there may be a bunch of other things that don't fit into the top three to five. I'll tell you what they are. There may be a bunch of, like, sayings or ideas or beliefs that guys dropped on stage that I may grab those and incorporate those into my daily affirmations. <clears throat> Most of my affirmations over the years have come from uh, listening to speakers who are achieving things that I've not yet achieved and hearing what they say, I believe this, I believe that, and whatever the case might be, and then I create an affirmation based on what their beliefs are because if they believe that, I know what an important factor their beliefs are to their success levels. It's more important than their talents. It's more important than their skills. It's more important than their resources. Their beliefs are one of the dominant things. And so if they've got beliefs that I don't have and I hear those, I want to begin to reprogram my mind to have beliefs that are going to empower me and be congruent with my goals and what I want to achieve. And the beliefs that I have right now, the beliefs that I have right now obviously aren't. And so that's what I want to do. Um, And then I'm looking for actionable items beyond that. You know, what are the three to five – what are the actionable items? What are the things that I can do differently? I'm putting together a list of three to five of those actionable items that – uh, that I'm going to begin to work with my leadership on so that I can improve in these areas. The second part of the triad, the second apex, the second corner on that triangle is language. And language comes in two forms that we want to pay attention to. One is internal language and one is external language. So internal language in many ways is directly related to beliefs. Why do I say that? Uh, because internal language is the dialogue that I have with myself inside of my head. 
And so the things that I say over and over and over to myself in my head tend to become my beliefs or are reflective of my beliefs. And so what is the internal language that either they've acknowledged they say? Because sometimes they'll just say, hey, well, you know what, I, I've said to myself before, whenever I'm in this situation, I always tell myself, blankety, blankety, blank. I pay attention to those things. <clears throat> and I want to begin reprogramming my mind. Those of you that have studied or read anything about the mind or listened to any podcasts or that have talked about it, what's suggested by many researchers and scientists, and they have ways of sort of tracking this stuff now, is that somewhere around 93% of our thoughts on a daily basis are habitual. They're automatic. They're reflective. It's not like new thinking. The mind is this incredible supercomputer, but it, it, it works to be as efficient as possible. And it requires a low amount of energy for it to just work on autopilot. Thus, ha- that's the benefit or the liability of having habits and routines. Habits and routines, things that we say or do automatically or reflexively, require very little energy from the brain. It's just autopilot, as opposed to when we do real cognitive thinking, when we really think through and evaluate a new idea for the first time. That's completely different. requires a much greater source of energy for our brain to go through that process. So if 93% of the thoughts I'm thinking today are identical to yesterday and identical to Wednesday and identical to last Wednesday, what I'm really fighting for is that 7%. How can I begin to reprogram the 7% so that based on new ideas that I'm thinking each day, so that eventually these new ideas I'm consciously thinking today is beginning to reprogram what eventually becomes a new part of the 93%. And that's where affirmations and incantations play a big role because they give me the ability to do that. So the second apex is language, internal and external. So internal is what are the things that I'm saying to myself and am I working to reprogram my brain so that it's more congruent with the things that I want to achieve, or am I simply allowing my subconscious mind to run on autopilot these thoughts on a daily basis, this internal dialogue on a daily basis, whether or not it's congruent with my goals or not. That's that's something that we've got to be conscious of to get to work. Okay, sorry, I lost you for a second. Uh, Then the external dialogue is more like the scripting. How do they talk to their leaders? How do they talk to their colleagues? How do they talk to prospects? How do they talk to clients? All that external dialogue is stuff that we can pick up and put into our scripting, put into our phraseology, if you will. The way that we speak to others, whether it's EPR, the way that we speak to our leadership, whether it's alignment or becoming more coachable, or the way that we speak to uh, prospects and clients and new associates and new recruits and so forth. All of that is part of the triad, an important part of our external dialogue. And then the third part is physiology. How do the guys and gals on stage move their body? How do they carry themselves? And not that you have to carry yourself the exact same way that they carry themselves, but if they walk with confidence, what does it look like when you walk with confidence? What if I just got in the car and, like, the background noise and your bell going off that you don't have a seatbelt on? That's a little bit distracting, just so you know. <clears throat> so 
I like to pay attention to people's triad and learn what's different about their triad than mine. So I wanted to put that out there, to, to put that as sort of a framework for the rest of our call. And I want to ask you some questions. Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel when you were sitting in, those two, in the arena for those two days? I want you to go back now to how you felt then. I want you to write down and describe the feelings that you felt as you were sitting in the arena right now. Did you find yourself feeling super confident? Did you find yourself feeling more passionate about our mission? Did you feel yourself uh, feeling more excited about your future? Did you find yourself feeling more opportunistic about what's possible in your life? Did you, did you find yourself feeling more certain about what's going to happen in your life and in your business? Did you find yourself feeling more confident in yourself, in your abilities, in your resources? Did you find yourself to feel more confident in the company or in your leadership or in the products or in the opportunities? What, what are some of the feelings that you experience as you're sitting in the arena? And as you go through your notes a second time, maybe at the top of your notes it says Juan Jaime, I want you to think not just about the notes that you wrote down when Juan spoke, but I want you to think about how did you feel when he was speaking? What did his triad look like? How was he moving his physiology? What was his language? How, was his, how did he use his voice? What were some of the things that he shared? What do you think his beliefs, even if he didn't say or even if he didn't write it down, what do you think his beliefs must be based on what he talked about? And then go through Joanna Market. Same questions. How did I feel when she was speaking? How did she move her body? How did she use her physiology from the moment she stepped out on stage? How did she, how did she use her voice qualities? How did she speak? Did she scream and shout the whole time, or did she speak with enthusiasm at times, and then did she shut it down and whisper at other times, but command the same sort of presence and confidence? And go through. Did she, how did she show up? Did she show up as being very passionate, very confident? How would you describe the way that she showed up? And I want you to begin to capture a list of what are the predominant emotions or feelings that each one of these leaders evoke? Because just like, I want you to listen to me on this. I know this is a little bit highbrow coming off convention. This is a little bit of like psychology 301. But I want you to follow me on this. Much like scientists have been able to prove that 93% of our thoughts we think habitually day after day after day, and that's the reason, though, we want certain things in our life, we don't always get them because we're running the same pattern. We're running the same program over and over and over. Imagine if you've got a bad program on your computer, uh, a program maybe that has a virus in it, and you keep putting the same data in, and it keeps giving you the wrong answer, and you're like, crap. Okay, well, let me put the data in again, and it gives you the wrong answer again. Let me put the data in again. It gives me the wrong answer again. You keep getting frustrated. What you really need is you need to update the software. You need to change the programming so that it works in a way that you need it to. Same is, same is so true of our brains. 
we we are in control. Now, most of the programming that you have has been handed to you by well-intentioned, good-meaning parents, colleagues, brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, grandparents, teachers, coaches, friends, leaders in the church and business community. They all have good intentions. They meant nothing but the best. But they have contributed more to your programming in most cases than you have contributed to your programming. And it's time for you to take control of your programming. So here's what I want to share with you. If 93% of the thoughts that we think, we thought yesterday. Here's what scientists suggest. There's something like 300 and some out of almost 400 different emotions that a human being can feel. Like 400 almost emotions that you can feel at any given time and yet, much like our thinking, our, emotion, our emotions are habitual. And we tend to think, or we tend to experience the same 10 to 12 emotions the majority of the time, day in, day out, week in, week out. If you're highly self-aware and you begin to write down over the course of an, a, a normal week, and you just sort of walk through a normal week in your mind, Monday morning, what time you get up, what your morning process is like, who you're interacting with, what you do Monday mornings, what you do Monday afternoons, what you do Monday evenings. If you begin to walk through your whole week and who you encounter, what you tend to do on a weekly basis, what experiences you tend to have, where you tend to be and who you tend to be with, and how you're feeling at any one of those given times, and list those feelings, here's what most of you will find. There's 10 or 12 or maybe as many as 14 emotions that you feel all the time. Now, uh, some of you... Some of you are really joyful, happy people. Like, I think of Lizzie Evans out of Colorado, uh, Lizzie Janice out of Colorado. I just think of, like, when she laughs, like, it's a bellyache, like, from her soul kind of laugh, joy, like, the, the way she smiles and the way she laughs, that's an emotion she experiences on a regular basis. On a regular basis, she's, like, super happy and joyful and, and, and lighthearted. That's, that's an emotion. It's not the only emotion, but it's an emotion that she does really, really well. Some of you have to work. Some of you aren't really good at smiling or laughing or being playful or joking <laughs> or being joyful. Some of you, it's just not easy for you to do that. Some of you are really good at being anxious or being worried. And if you think about your average week and how, how much you worry about your kids or how much you worry about your money, or how much you worry about certain things in your life and whether or not you're going to get the result that you need to in a timely manner. Or some of you just have a lot of anxiety and you're anxious all the time. You're like always like in a hurry, but never really calm and confident. Some of you feel frustrated or overwhelmed. You know, some of you will have like an internal dialogue that says, well, a mother's work is never done. And you'll use that internal dialogue hundreds of times a week subconsciously. And what it does is it creates a, a state, a feeling of overwhelmed or frustrated. And so you do that emotion very, very well because of your internal dialogue. I hope you're beginning to follow what I'm trying to teach you guys. Each one of us has beliefs and internal dialogue that plays a huge role in how we feel. And so if you're going to feel 10 or 12 emotions a week, what are those 10 or 12 emotions? Are they fear? Are they doubt? Are they worry? Are they anxiety? Are they resentment? 
Are they frustration? Are they overwhelm? Are they um, insecurity? Or are they happiness and joy and confidence and certainty and passion and, and commitment and determination and charisma? What are those emotions that you experience? And then here's what I want you to think about. As you go through your notes and look at, at each speaker, what do you think their dominant emotions are on a weekly basis? Do you think confidence is something that they do well and do often? What about passion? What about enthusiasm? What about optimism? What about gratitude? What about joy? How often and how good at and, and how regularly do you think they practice the emotion of worry or anxiety or fear? Or doubt. It's not that they don't ever experience fear, but how long do they sit in a state of fear before they become aware that, hey, I'm feeling afraid of this, and then they do it anyway? Courage is not the absence of fear. It's not pretending like you don't have fear. Courage is when we acknowledge fear and we act anyway. So I want you to go through your notes and look at each speaker, and just for a couple of moments, just think about what emotions do I think that they do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, that help, that are congruent with their goals and help them to achieve at a level that I want to achieve. And I think what you'll find is, whether it's Raj Dhaliwal or Juan Jaime or Johanna Mockett or Jamie Villalobos or Rich Thawley or Ed Milet or John Cordero, whatever the list is of people as you go through each one of them, <laughs> I think you're going to find that there's a whole bunch of emotions that they share in common and they do particularly well. I'm not talking about skills. I'm not talking about knowledge. I'm not talking about experience. I'm talking about the state that they manage and practice and practice at a high level on a daily basis. And I'm just wondering if you began to become more conscious of your emotions and your feelings on a daily basis let me give you an example. <clears throat> um, you're, you're leaving the house in the morning, you're driving to work. What state or emotion are you in? You show up at work and you begin to get organized. What emotion are you You're leaving a, a work to go to lunch. What kind of a state are you in? You're on the elevator. What kind of a state are you in? There's a lot of times during our day that, like, when you become to be, begin to become self-aware, like, can I just practice feeling, like, more confident, more charismatic as I'm leaving the building? And what would that feel like? And if I asked you right now, I said, if I said right now, I want you to think of a time in your life when you felt unbelievably confident. Like, you were, you were the man, you were the woman, you were in total control of the situation, you were rising up, you were stepping above, like, you just knew you owned the moment and you felt, like, supremely confident in that moment. How, how does that feel? And if I walked you back in that experience and said, hey, I want you to think about the things you were thinking about in that moment. What were you thinking about? What were you saying to yourself? How did it feel to feel that confident? What were you focused on? How are you carrying your, your body? How are you breathing? How are you carrying your physiology at that moment? <clears throat> what did it feel like for you to feel that confident? 
if you walk through those questions in that exercise, you can literally get yourself right now, wherever you're at, to a place where you feel unbelievably confident. Why is that important to know? It's important to know because you can trigger these feelings, you can trigger these states anytime you want to. Habitually, your routine is going to be to run the 10 or 12 emotions that you run every single week. Whether or not they're healthy, whether or not they're congruent with you achieving your goals, whether or not they're going to help you to attract and recruit and close and sell and influence and make a difference in people's lives the way that you want to or not, is indiscriminate. It's a routine. You're going to run certain emotions over and over and over. But what if you could begin to, at a moment's notice, practice feeling supremely confident like you did in that one moment? Or you think of a time when, man, I just felt like unbelievably grateful. I was just so happy and grateful for everything that was given to me. I want you to think about that, a time that you were super grateful right now. I'm going to give you a moment to think about that. All right, did you think of a time when you felt totally, total gratitude, like totally grateful? Each one of these emotions, as you go through and you identify the leaders, what are the emotions that they run on a regular basis? The question that you have to ask yourself is, how can I begin to practice those in my daily life? The first step is, Wayne Dyer says that awareness is the first step to change. Becoming aware when you're feeling hesitant. Becoming aware when you're feeling anxious. Becoming aware when you're feeling doubtful. Becoming aware when you're feeling fearful. Becoming aware when you're feeling anxious. Becoming aware when you're feeling lazy or tired. The first step is to become aware when these feelings are upon you and then to choose to realize that I've got a choice. I can continue to dwell in this feeling. And the reason that you're dwelling in this feeling is because of your internal language. It's because of stuff that you're telling yourself at that time. You're focusing on, I'm focusing on like, oh, what could go wrong? Or it seems like there's no way out of this. Or I just don't feel like I'm prepared for like this. Or I'm not ready. Or I didn't like, whatever that internal dialogue is, it's causing you to feel that way. So realizing I've got a choice, I don't have to continue to feel this way. Now, the fact of the matter is you're so used to feeling that way. If it's one of these patterns or emotions that you run all the time, that there's a sick sense of comfort in just dwelling in that. Some of us love to, to worry about people that we love because when we get stuck worrying about them or when we dwell on worry, when we, when we worry about them, it, it, in some way to us it, it makes us demonstrate how much we love them because I love them so much is why I worry about them. And that becomes sort of the internal dialogue. And so worrying, even though it's a negative emotion and it doesn't help to accomplish anything positive and it's not congruent with any goal we've ever set in our life, there's a feeling of comfort when we're worrying about loved ones because it's an emotion that tells us that we care. Now, is it the most productive emotion that tells us that we care? No, it's not productive at all. But there's a sense of comfort, so it's hard for us to let go of that. So sometimes 
we can be aware, like, oh, yeah, I'm worrying a lot right now, and I've got a choice, but some of us are going to choose to continue to worry because of the internal dialogue that we have. But understanding that I'm worrying right now and I've got a choice is empowering. And once you understand that you have that choice, you can do something about it. So whether it's anxiety or worry or doubt before prospecting or making a call or somebody that you see in Starbucks that you really want to prospect and was really sharp, but you, you feel also instead of feeling confident, when you know you need to feel confident at that moment, you feel uncertain. All of the, like becoming aware of those emotions before you prospect somebody, before you make a call, before you do those things is critical. And then knowing that you have a choice. And the more that you practice privately when there's no pressure, like I was talking about times like practice being more confident, practice being more certain, practice being more charismatic or more passionate when you're just walking to the elevator, when you're leaving the building, when you're driving, wherever. You can, because it's nothing more than a state or a feeling. When you practice those things at those times, when there's no pressure whatsoever, it's far easier when you're under stress or under pressure to do those things. You think about first responders, right? Let's talk about first responders for a second. Whether they're Navy SEALs or they're law enforcement or they are firefighters or whatever the case might be, they practice over and over. That Sully talked about this in the Grand Arena, right? He had never prepared for a landing on water, but they had prepared for so many different emergency situations and had practiced so many times when there was no pressure that at a moment in his life that had the most intense emergency ever, and he had less than a minute to figure out what to do and to do it, both he and his co-pilot were able to find complete peace of mind and certainty and confidence and calmness in the height of the storm. How were they able to find that? Because they had practiced those emotions so many times when there was no pressure, that under a time of intense pressure, they were good for it. You look at, like, both my boys play basketball. They work with a shooting coach. What does a shooting coach do? He, he, in practice, he tries to take them through drills to get their, not just their mechanics of their shot, but their mindset and their thinking super solid. And then he tries to create artificial duress, pretend stress, as he takes them through different shooting techniques. And so the more times that they practice with artificial duress and stress, now when they're in a big-time game, with the game on the line, a big-time moment, there's a big crowd, they practice so many times that they're calm, they're confident, they're relaxed. They're not afraid of failing. They're confident in their preparation. They're able to move forward. The same is true of you. Whether it's you're going out prospecting or you're making prospecting phone calls or you're overcoming objections or you're sitting down across the kitchen table. You know why new agents struggle across the kitchen table? Because they are afraid that the prospect is going to ask them a question they don't know the answer to. Whether it's a technical question about the product itself or the way the policy works or the financing or whether it's some sort of objection that the prospect might have that they're not ready for. And so a newer agent in a time under pressure when you need to deliver, you need to execute, they feel fear that the client's going to ask them a question like that. They feel 
worry. They have doubts in their ability to answer the question. They have anxiety about whether or not they're going to get the sale or not. And because they're exuding those emotions, the prospect picks up on those emotions. And a lot of times the prospect is like, yeah, it, it, it all makes sense. But for some reason, I just, I'm not so sure about moving forward right now. I can't really put my thumb on it. I just, uh, gut feeling, I'm just not sure I should move forward. Or they slow things down by saying, well, you know, I think I just need to talk to somebody. Or I think I just need to think about it or whatever the case might be. Because logically it makes sense, but the new agent is in a negative state and they're projecting that energy and the prospect's picking up on it. Well, what about Rachel O'Connell? Well, Rachel O'Connell sitting in front of the client, she ain't worried about nothing. She's not afraid of nothing. She's got zero doubts and zero anxiety. You know what she's feeling? She's feeling super confident in her preparation. She's feeling super confident in her planning. She feels tremendous certainty that the plan she's recommending is going to work for the client. She's excited and enthusiastic about how much she's about to help the client and how much money she's going to make help with the client. And so she's exuding all those emotions. So at the end of the close, she moves forward into the paperwork. The prospect has no questions and is excited to move forward and sign the paperwork and write a check to her. Are Rachel's skills good? Yeah, they're damn good. Has she prepared? Yep, she's prepared. But the emotional state that she's in, you could have right now, even though you don't have the years of experience. You don't need the years of experience that Rachel has to have the same level of confidence or certainty or the same amount of passion or the same amount of expectations or the same beliefs. It's not dependent on any of those things. And that's like a big takeaway that I want you guys to get coming out of the convention. Because let me explain it to you this way. Was there, was there one person that stepped on stage last week? And my guess is for most of you, knowing most of you the way I do, there's a lot more than one. But was there one person that stepped on stage last week that, where you just said to yourself, I can't believe that numbskull is making that much money. I can't believe that person's making a half million or three quarters of a million or a million dollars a year. Like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, who would, who would go into business with them? Who would follow them? Who would buy from them? Who, like, I can't believe that person's got that big of a team. I can't believe that person's making that much money. They're not that good. They don't even speak English that good. Like, their, their words are jacked up. Like, I know more about that than they do. Well, the separator, you may have better skills. You may have better training. You may have better knowledge than them. But the separator is their level of confidence in themselves, even if you don't think, I want you to listen to me on this, even if you don't think that they should be that confident in themselves, they think they should be that confident in themselves. And the cool thing about self-confidence, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Self-confidence, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. It only matters what one person thinks. Now, many of you, many, many of us, Actually, it does matter because we let it matter. A lot of us think that self-confidence comes from others telling us things that should make us feel confident. And that's why we don't have the self-confidence that we should because we're looking to get our self-confidence through the approval of others. And that's not where it comes from. Self-confidence comes from confidence in the self. I shared this with my team on Wednesday out in Chino. I said, like, here's the deal. How can, let's say, how can somebody like Dakai, who's fairly new but having a lot of success in Colorado, or 
Jonathan Poole, who's fairly new but having a lot of success in um, Torrance, right? Or somebody like um, Louis Chong, who's fairly new but having a lot of success in Chino. How can they have the confidence that Rachel O'Connell does or the certainty or the um, beliefs or the passion for a mission? The reason that they can is because none of those things are dependent on repetitions or experience or skills or knowledge. They're dependent on what we tell ourselves and how what we tell ourselves, how that internal dialogue creates a feeling or a statement inside of us. So let me make a recommendation as it comes to clients, just to give you an example. This is going to take some work. Those of you that want to change, manage your states at a higher level to change your outcomes at a higher level, you're going to need to replicate this in other areas of your life. But I can give you one quick example. If Louis Chong sits down with a client and Rachel O'Connell sits down with a client, how can Louis have the same amount of self-confidence, notice I said self-confidence, that Rachel O'Connell does when she has so much more experience and so much more training than him? If I'm Louis Chong, here's where I get all my self-confidence sitting down with the client. You know what? This client can find advisors or agents that have way more experience than me, that have better skills than me, and that have better knowledge than me. But this client is never going to find an agent that cares more about them. This client is never going to find a, an agent that is willing to work harder for them and their family. This client is never going to find an agent that's going to work harder over the years in annual reviews and servicing and following up than they will in me. This client is never going to find an agent that they can trust more than me. Because if I don't know the answers, I know where to get it, and I'll find them the answers. But I'm never going to mislead them. I'm never going to lie to them. I'm never going to let them think something that's not true. They're never going to find an agent that they can trust as much as me. And that's where Louis' self-confidence comes from. And when he thinks those thoughts and has that kind of an internal dialogue with himself, he can create as much or more self-confidence as Rachel O'Connell. Now, it may show up differently when Rachel looks super confident and Louis show, looks super confident. It looks different on each one of them. They don't do it the same way. In other words, when you're super confident, you don't have to act like Ed Milet or Dan Charlier. That's the way they look and act and talk and move their bodies when they're super confident. It looks different on you, and it should look different on you. <clears throat> but the key is can you get to your level of that self-confidence? What about when it comes to leadership and building a team? Can your teammates find a leader with more leadership experience, stronger people skills, um, more articulate, more charismatic, a better speaker? Uh, yeah, sure. Can, they, can your teammates find a leader that they can trust more than you? Here's what I know. They're never going to find a leader that cares more about them than I do. They're never going to find a leader that cares more about their goals and dreams than I care about their dreams and goals. They're never going to find a leader who's willing to work harder for them to help them get success. There's never, they're never going to find a leader who will back them no matter how bad their results are, who will refuse to give up belief on them. They're never going to find somebody who's going to believe in them as much as I do. See, if I say all those things, or Dan Charlier or Eric Olson or Raj Dhaliwal does. 
it's because your self-confidence doesn't come from experience or skills or knowledge. It comes from your, your self-confidence. Here's the most important thing. I want you to write this down. If you haven't written down anything, your self-confidence comes from your internal dialogue and your beliefs. Your level of commitment comes from your internal dialogue and your beliefs. Your passion for our mission or life in general comes from your internal dialogue and your beliefs. Your determination to overcome obstacles and work hard when you don't feel like it comes from your internal dialogue and your beliefs. And so the more that you become aware of your internal dialogue, how it affects your state, how it affects the way that you feel, and how that internal dialogue and the way that you're feeling affects your behavior and your results, and that I have a choice and I can manage these things. I can make new choices. Instead of just falling into old routines and old habits, I can make new choices and better my impact change my results much faster by doing those by increasing your product knowledge or development your beliefs and your state has a much bigger impact overall on your outcomes than your knowledge and your skills. Now, no one by saying, hey, uh, stop trying to get better at your skills or uh, you know, stop trying to increase your product knowledge. Or your knowledge. A little bit. What I am saying is that you need to get better at these things that we've been talking about on today's call. Uh, let's see here. Let me just add a couple of more things as we sort of wind down the call. <clears throat> One of the biggest takeaways for me, I don't even remember who said it. It doesn't matter who said it. But they said it. I want you to think about how this applies to your business, how this applies to your team, how this applies to your clients, how this applies to your prospecting, how this applies to your recruiting, how it applies to your marriage, how it applies to your physical fitness, how it applies to your key relationships, how it applies to how you manage your money. I want you to just think about this statement, how it applies to every area of your life. You can't be great at something that you like. If you like something, you're never going to be great at it. The key to greatness in every single area of your life is you've got to love it. You've got to love it. You're not going to be great at something you don't love. So you've got to make a decision that you're going to love it. Some of you get caught up in the vehicle, in WFG. Some of you get so caught up like, well, I'm not sure if I love the vehicle. I don't, I don't know if I love the whole idea of recruiting. And I don't know if I love the whole idea of prospecting. And I don't know if I love the idea of the way other people talk about my vehicle. And some people make fun of my vehicle. Or some people say my vehicle's a multi-level vehicle. Or it's a pyramid vehicle. And I wish they didn't say that about my vehicle. WFG, the platform, is just the vehicle. The focus is where do you want to get in life? 
What do you want to get financially? What do you want to be able to do for your spouse? What do you want to be able to do for your parents? What do you want to be able to do for your kids? What are the experiences that you want to have? What are the things you want to be able to do? What are, what are the things that you want to be able to have and do for the people that you care about most? Fall in love with your goals and get super butt-specific, get super clear on your goals and what you want most out of life. Fall in love with those and then find a platform, find a vehicle that's going to help you get there. What I would suggest to you is this. You're going to have a hard time finding a vehicle that's going to even remotely compare to WFG as far as, far as achieving the things in your life that you want the most. A vehicle that has so little upfront capital and a vehicle that has the possibility of such leveraged exponential growth, you're going to have a hard time finding a vehicle that even remotely comes close. And here's what I know. Ed shared this so eloquently. It's not about where the vehicle gets you in a year or two or three. And certainly we've had quarter-million-dollar earners in a, in a three-year period of time. We've had half-million-dollar earners in a four-year period of time. That's the exception to the rule, right? It's not about where the vehicle gets you in two, three, four years. It's where is this vehicle going to get me in 10 years? Where will I be then? Here's what you know. If you look at a majority, certainly not ever, everyone, but I bet if you look at more than 50% of the people that have been with the company 10 years or more, they're somewhere between a quarter to a half million dollars a year quarter to a half million dollars a year, 10 years in. That's a really, really, really typical high probability, statistically high probability place of landing if you're here 10 years and working on yourself and working on your business for 10 years. There's very few places that you can go to with such a high probability of 10 years in making a quarter to a half million dollars a year. You use this as your vehicle. You use this platform as your vehicle to achieve your goals and what you really want in life. Um, there's very few places with, that are as probable as ours that you being at a half million to a million plus dollars a year in 20 years. In 20, is 20 years a long period of time? Yep. But how many people do you know making a half million to a million bucks a year? No capital up front. Costs you 100 bucks to get started and some sweat equity. How many people do you know? I bet the number of people you know personally in your life making a half million, million, million plus a year is a pretty small number. For many of you, that number, if you look outside of WFG, is zero. Not millionaires, but people earning a million plus a year. And you get to the 20-year mark in our business and you're working hard on yourself, working hard on your business, yeah, really high probability. More than half the people that have been with us 20 years are doing that. So... Yeah, maybe you don't love the vehicle, but do you love where it can get you? And do you love that being able to do that thing for your family? Because here's what I, I was talking with a few of the leaders early in the week. I want you to think about this. You get yourself to that 20-year spot where you're a million plus a year. And I don't know if based on where you are in your business, I don't know if that's two years away for you. I don't know if that's realistically five years away for you. If you're 10 years away from that, if you're 15 years away from that, I don't know how close you are to that number. I just know if you, if you stick it out here and keep working hard on yourself and fall in love with your goals and where you're going, and by default, fall in love with the vehicle that can get you there. Fall in love with the process, the process of serving others, of helping others, of giving others 
Think about this. Every single person you invite down to a meeting has the same opportunity as you to go out and earn a quarter to a half million bucks a year 10 years in, to earn a half million to a million bucks a year 20 years in. Every single guest you invite down has that opportunity, whether or not they take advantage of it, whether or not they take advantage of it and see it through to the end, who knows? But they've got that as a possibility. Where else do they even have that as a possibility? Is there any place else in their life, realistically, that they have that as a possibility? Let me answer that for you. No, there isn't. So whether or not they understand how powerful that opportunity is, that's what you're giving them. And I want you to think about this. Whether it takes you 5 or 10 or 15 more years to get to that kind of an income, what we're talking about then, you start earning 750000 a million bucks a year, and you earn that much for 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 years, depending on how old you are, we're now talking about life-changing money, generational money. I was, I was listening to a sports program the other day, and they were talking about baseball players. And a lot of baseball players make good money and have a great lifestyle. And then there's some baseball players that are at a higher level and play for a longer period of time and thus get bigger contracts. And they make what's called life-changing money. Changes their life forever. They go from, it's not just about having a great lifestyle. Certainly you can make a quarter million bucks a year or three, four hundred thousand dollars a year and have a great lifestyle. Great lifestyle. But you talk about three quarters of a million bucks a year or a million bucks a year for five or 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 years, most of it residual, most of it passive. You're talking about life-changing money, generational money, the kind of thing that can change not only your life forever, but your children's life forever, potentially your grandchildren's life forever. You begin to invest that properly. You get the compounded efforts of your investments along with specifically um, – you know, your business growing and the residual income off that, it's just crazy. So um, I wanted to take a little bit different tack today as far as the direction I wanted to go post-convention. I know you've had a lot of great meetings, leaving convention in your local offices. I wanted to have a conversation with you this morning that I'm guessing we didn't have yet, and yet I think it's important for us to have. Here's the last thing I want you to do. Now, here's what I know. Most of the ideas and the exercises that I threw out in the questions and the things that you need to work through in your notes and the things that you need to work through in your self-awareness and the choices you need to have and practicing your emotions, I, most of you won't do that, I know. It's just another call. You get off the call. You get back to your routine. 93% of your thoughts today will be just like yesterday. 93% of your emotions today will be just like yesterday. And you just get back into that routine and do very little and change it. Most of you aren't going to take the time and energy and effort necessary to reprogram your mind, but a few of you will, and that's who I'm really, that's who I'm really talking to. Those of you that do, let me give you the, the last piece of advice. Now, Nikki's about to run an unbelievable elite circle. If there's any way that you can get there, whether you have to use your SMB's wild card, whether you qualified, whatever the case might be, whether you got to fly in, whether you got to drive them, like I'd do anything. Her last elite circle is so off the chain. June De La Cruz, Sean and Jamie Villalobos, Adam and Johanna Mockett, um, Deshaun Cofield, like myself. Um, I, she just had like unbelievable leaders come in and just drop, like just. It was like a convention in the Torrance office. It was sick. 
and she's about to do that again. She's already reviewed with me the list of speakers that she's got. And so some of the speakers she's got, quite frankly, I can't believe that she got. I can't believe they agreed to come down. Um, like, she, like she went top, 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 top shelf. So it's going to be sick. I actually want to go to a couple of the classes just to learn and take notes myself. But whether you're participating in her elite circle or not, here's what you need to do next. You need to set a big goal, a big, giant goal, one that totally excites you, and you need to have a short freaking deadline, like a short deadline. Why do you need to have a short deadline? Because when you have a big goal that excites you and a short deadline, it gets your adrenaline pumping through your veins. Your adrenaline is coursing through your veins 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're jacked. You're pumped. You're excited. And when your adrenaline is focused because the goal is so big, and so exciting, and the deadline is so short, it creates a healthy pressure, a healthy anxiety, and here's what happens next. It dramatically intensifies your ability to focus. You get laser focused on the goal, what exactly what you need to do. You are very difficult to distract. You're locked in and laser focused. And it increases your, your adrenaline, increases your energy. You've got more energy morning, noon, and night to just go crush because you've got this big goal that excites you and a super short deadline and it just puts a real healthy, fun, intense kind of pressure on you that causes you to grow in all the ways that you want to grow. And you need to work with your local leadership and put together a simple plan, not a complicated plan, a simple plan for achieving that goal. You need to get your schedule tightened up around that goal around that simple plan, then you need to get the buy-in and support necessary from the spouse and the kids. Let them know, hey, here's what I'm going to do. Here's why I'm doing it for us. Here's specifically what I'm going to need you to do for this period of time. My wife's going to be crazy. I'm going to be out of balance. Here's why I'm doing it. Here's what I need you to do. Here's what I need you to understand. Here's how we're going to communicate about things when things get a little bit squirrely. You need the buy-in and support of your team and your colleagues and your sidelines. And then you just need to get to work on a daily basis on the activity necessary and you in the day. Your focus at that point becomes winning the day. What can I do today? What are all the things I can get done today to get closer to my goal so I don't have to so I have less to do tomorrow? What are all the things I can get done today? And you begin to work like hell day after day, winning the day. I want to challenge those of you who are along for the ride to do just that. If you want to copy me on a text or an email about what your big goal and deadline and plans are. I'd love to see feedback. If you want to keep it to yourself, I'm down. I'll tell you what mine is. I'm on a, I set a goal to make a million bucks a year. And I don't know if it's going to take me six months or a year or 18 months or two years, but I'm going to get it done. I've already reached out to Rich Stolley to schedule time for with him for Michelle and I. I've already reached out to Dan Charlier. Michelle and I are meeting with Dan next week. And both of those guys have done it themselves, and they've helped a bunch of other people do it, so I know they can help me do it. Now, I'm going to drive all the way to Beverly Hills to meet with Dan. I don't know. I'll probably drive to Lodi to meet with Rich, but it's worth it because I'm determined to do it. I've never done it before, so I need coaching. I need counseling. I need accountability. I don't know how I'm going to have to grow. I don't know what I'm going to have to change about me, but I'm willing to do whatever's necessary. Michelle is totally on board. Here's what I know. When I'm making a million bucks a year, Nikki Cannon's income ain't going to be where it is today. Nor is Mark's, nor is Rachel's, nor is Daniel's, nor is Christine's, nor is Sabrina's, nor is Louie's. 
There was the Kais. There was Jonathan Pools. Like, everybody's going to make more money. And I'm determined to do that. Why? Because I'm 54. And I want to get this done. And I want to I be a million plus bucks a year for the next 15 or 20 years. I want to do something change my family forever. And it's a big goal. And it's going to be intense. And it's going to be hard. And I'm excited to do it. And I hope you're just as excited about your goals. Appreciate you guys. Have an unbelievable week. Let's crush it tomorrow at the Super BPM in Corona. And to all of the, those going into Elite Circle, man, partner up with your SMD close. Have them help you. Don't go through Elite Circle to go through it. Go through it with the intention to graduate, dominate, and win the whole damn thing. Love you guys. Have a great week.